Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. If you're a big brand, they feel that the American corporate headquarters tends to dictate to everybody what should happen based upon what is happening in the States, not realizing what's happening in the local marketplace. People are different and knowing who your customer is and what they want, absolutely vital. And if you, if you want to fail, don't bother. Don't bother learning who your customer is and, and what motivates them and what they want. The time for change is when you've reached the top, but that is the most difficult time to change because everybody turns around and says, why are we changing? You know, we're doing really well. There's no point in this. Ryan, I've really had some fun preparing for this podcast today, okay? Yes. Because we, let, let me read you some of these, okay? Some of these are how, how brands have um, made some mistakes. So Braniff International translated its slogan talking about buying upholstery seats was fly in leather, but the Spanish is fly naked. <laughs> so they had loads of things about flying naked. Coolers, yeah, translated its slogan, turn it loose, which translated into Spanish is a colloquialism for having diarrhea. Very nice. Gerber marketed baby food in uh, Africa where they, you know, remember they have the cute baby on the side? Mm-hmm. But they didn't realize that in a number of countries in Africa, what you tend to put on the side is pictures of what's in the product. The ingredient. <laughs> I mean, probably a lot of protein. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. KFC had uh, Chinese customers who, instead of saying uh, finger licking good, they thought it said, eat your fingers off. <laughs> Yeah, the other one I like is Electrolux had a one-time marketing slogan in the US with a tagline of nothing sucks like an Electrolux. <laughs> Which is also true. So there you go. Yeah. yeah I, in absolutely. my classes, I show a um, Pampers diaper commercial that they made for Japan, which was just, they just took the American commercial and then recast it and reshot it. And, but it had the stork delivering diapers, which is, you know, a, a European legend tradition there was no cultural reference for it in japan and so it was just this woman with her baby and this giant cartoon bird busted in to, it was just terrifying it was like a little <laughs> horror movie uh, excellent yeah and so why are we talking about this subject we're talking about this because there's been a number of instances hasn't there where particularly big brands seem to have really screwed up, yeah? And we thought what we would do is a five rules, okay? And the five rules are going to be five rules to ensure that you will fail, yeah? So do these five rules and you're going to get things wrong. Uh, and, you know, maybe what we're going to talk about, obviously, is why not to do them. I mean, maybe you're tired of winning, you know? Maybe you're just you're tired yeah, of making money you've had and enough. try failure for a while. We're yeah. here to help. It's work for me, mate. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Do what you know. 
you know, do what you like. Yeah, do what you're good at. That's what I've been told. <laughs> So the first rule is not understanding their marketplace. And I think that you could probably put some of those ones underneath that, couldn't you? Or, or assuming that your marketplace is the, is the same everywhere. Maybe. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, all of those that we, um, there, there are lots of ways that brands fail, you know, within, within their own marketplace. But a lot of those examples we just gave are when brands are you know, moving into another country or into another culture and are just like not, I mean, how hard would it have been? How many people would they have needed to ask? Do people here know what the stork is uh, in this context? Or, you know, did, r- run your slogan by a 14-year-old to see if they laugh, to see if it's uh, actually some colloquialism for something less pleasant for your brand. But they don't. Uh, it's too often brands just wouldn't even bother to check on this stuff because uh, they didn't understand their marketplace. Yeah, a bit like Coca-Cola, whose brand name when first marketed in China was translated as bite the wax tadpole. I mean, have you ever had a wax tadpole? They're delicious. <laughs> it, it's not as snappy as Coca-Cola, do, <laughs> do you think? I mean, you're in Atlanta, mate. You're in the headquarters there, so, you know. I mean... I, to a certain extent, I think Coca-Cola feels they've, they've earned the position to have other languages just change. Like, so you just, you change your meaning to, to match what we do. Well, it, it's funny. So it's, it's funny you to say that, actually, because clearly, I mean, in England, when we go to, and I'm trying to be careful with my words now to make sure I don't make a mistake. <laughs> but when we go to vacuum the carpet, we don't say vacuum the carpet. We say we're going to hoover. Right. Yeah. Uh, obviously the brand name, you know. So there is part of educating a marketplace. That's not necessarily the, uh, the, the I'm not necessarily advocating that. But the, but the other interesting one is because I've, I was involved when I, back in the day in telecoms and they came to launch different products. And this is one of the reasons why they make up names. I don't know if you know this. But a lot of the cars, they will try to make up the name simply because if they make a name up, then invariably they're okay internationally to call it that. And they can call it the same thing throughout throughout the globe. So just a by the by. So the, the, the first rule, if you definitely want to fail, is make sure that you don't understand your, your, your target market and make sure that you just do globally. And I have to say, this is one of the things that, that I get a lot of feedback on from our clients is if you're a big brand, they feel that the American corporate headquarters tends to dictate to everybody what should happen based upon what is happening in the States, not realizing what's happening in the local marketplace. In fact, next week, I'm running a workshop where the client has basically said to me, I've got this constant argument between the UK and the US about what good service looks like. And we want you to come in and adjudicate between the between the two, basically. And the key point I was making to them was, it should be based upon output. So in other words, if you're trying to make a customer feel trust or cared for or happy or whatever it may be, just because the States may do it in one way, but to your point, you know, Japan or Asia or 
India or Netherlands may do it in a completely different way. But as long as you're getting the output the same, then it doesn't really matter, does it? Yeah, no, for sure. And I and I want to emphasize, like, this is not just a problem for companies that are going international. It is entirely possible to not understand your target market domestically, right? You you need to you need to know what people really value. And you know, going back to our our old saw about that usually involves segmentation. People are different, and knowing who your customer is and what they want absolutely vital. And if you if you want to fail, don't bother. Don't bother learning who your customer is and and what motivates them and what they want. Yeah, I I totally agree. Let me give you some other examples. And these are some examples of, as I started to prepare for this, that you really did have fun, didn't you? I did. I did. Well, some of these are fun. Some of these are serious. So this is a more serious one. But when uh, when you think about it, Kodak. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And you think of Nokia. Yeah. I always remember going into Nokia about six months after the iPhone was launched. Yeah. And I remember, and and at that point, Nokia was probably one of the largest or not the largest mobile phone manufacturers around. And I remember having a chat with the, the guy there and he basically saying, yeah, the iPhone won't survive because the battery doesn't last long enough. Yeah just makes you realize that they didn't understand the market and clearly the battery doesn't last as long but i mean back in those days you used to charge your phone up and it used to last you three days but the other advantages that the iphone and smartphones give you far outweigh what you were being given there so you know i think that that speaks to the whole of that that area doesn't it absolutely Here is Anna talking on the show. Hi, Colin and Ryan. I'm in a pickle. How do you operationalize your journey mapping? We don't want CX to become some fluffy thing that is not practical enough. Therefore, we want practical steps on how to get started the right way. Thank you. Anna's pickle was wonderful. Would you like to appear on the show just like Anna did? If you want to record your pickle, go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle and look for the big red record button. We'd love to hear from you too. Maybe we should do this in a different way, actually, mate. Let, let's do this. Let me read out these five rules and then let's see where we think these five rules fit in to the examples that we're going to give. Okay. So again, five rules to ensure that you will fail. Okay, so these are the things not to do. Yeah. So not understanding your target market, ignoring customer feedback is rule number two. Failing to adapt to change is rule number three. Rule number four is not being authentic. And rule number five is overlooking diversity and inclusion. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, because I think that your Nokia example is an example of number one, but also of number three, also of failing to adapt to change. Uh, Nokia was making great phones. Um, they were what everybody wanted, and then the world changed. Well, I, I think the same applies with a number of uh, organizations. So think of Kodak. Yeah. Think of Blockbuster. Have, have you? Have I ever told you about 
I'm going to draw this now. We'll have to include this in the newsletter that when we put this out. Have I ever told you about the um, the the Charles Handy S curve? I don't recall. All right. So let me let me try and uh, for those people looking on YouTube, you'll be able to see me drawing a picture in my in in the sky. Uh, but for those of you listening in on podcasts, let me try and explain this to you. If and you those had of you the... who are just listening, you're not missing much. But go ahead, <laughs> use your hands to draw a picture in the air. So, if you have the the vertical axis as being performance, and you have the horizontal axis is time, okay. What a guy called Charles Handy talked about, and he wrote a really good book called The Empty Raincoat. It's is a bit of an older older business guru, but this has always stuck with me. And I've used this many times to explain this to clients, and they seem to really like this as a model, okay? What happens over time, if you think about politicians, if you think about sports, if you think about companies, then they start off with a low performance. They're just starting, et cetera, et cetera. And then it gets to a peak, okay? And once they've reached that peak, it then starts to come down the other side, okay? And as it starts to come down the other side, typically it gets to a point where, in the case of a business, the CEO is changed, you know, they go in, they make some major changes, the peak turns up and up up they go to the other side. So it's this sort of classic bell curve or S curve, you know, of waves maybe is, a, is another good way of describing it for people, yeah? What Handy talks about is that the time for change is at the top of the wave and ideally at the top of the first wave, okay? So in other words, you've made the increases, but before you've reached the top and you've started to come down the other side, you've changed the organization and you've seen what's coming and you've moved on to that next peak. Does it? Is this making sense so far? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So if you think about politicians, you know, they go through a honeymoon period, don't they? And then their approval ratings shoot through the floor. If you think about sports teams, you know, Luton Town at the moment, we're in the championship. I'd be very, very surprised if we ever get up to the premiership. But I guarantee that we're going to go down to League One at some point. Yeah, which is this, you know, and if you look over history, that's what it's shown. Yeah. If you think of... You know, just think of pop stars. You know, there are very few pop stars that have remained at the top forever. If you think of companies, you know, there are very few companies that have remained at the top forever. You know, they they, they come and go, don't they? You know, and in fact, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, well, here's maybe here's a question for you. So, you know, we did that podcast on chat GBT. Yeah. So if we were to, if I was to ask you to score, either A is halfway through the the rise, yeah, so that's point A. Point B is where the organization has just reached the top and is just about to come over the other side. Point C is where the organization has just come over the other side, okay, and they're on their way down. And point D is halfway down. Am I making sense? Okay. So let me repeat those. A is you're halfway up and you've still got a long way to go. B is you've reached the top of the curve. You know, you're just about to go over the curve. C is 
you're just over that curve and you're now on your way, you know, you're going to be going down. And D is you're, you know, you're halfway down the curve before it sort of turns up again, assuming that you make the change. Obviously, some organizations continue to go down and never make the change and go out of business. So here's a question for you. Where would you put Google? I mean, Google's hard because it's not a unitary entity anymore. So so good point. So let me refine it. Where would you put Google search? Uh, the search bar would, the search service, I would guess, is past its peak, assuming that it has been a single rise. Like, assuming Google has not peaked yet, I think that they are past their peak would be my guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and if I was given ChatGBT recently, and they've clearly also known that this has been coming, yeah, but didn't blockbuster know that Netflix was coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, it, it just makes me go, yeah, they've, they're either at the top of the curb or just gone over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting is that ChatGPT is not a search engine, but it's acquired so much information and can write in, a, in a, such a kind of intuitive, accessible way. It would not surprise me if, as you're suggesting, this non-search engine starts displacing the search engine. Because for a lot of searches, it's going to be more friendly, more user-friendly. Yes, yes. And this is where, um, why am I going down this particular rabbit hole? I'm going down this particular rabbit hole because this is a really useful model. So, dear listener, ask yourself, where do you think your company is? Okay? You know, again, are you halfway up the, the, the first curve and you've got lots of growth left? Are you reaching the top of the curve and you're the, reaching the top of your growth? Have you just gone started to go down the other side or are you halfway down? Because clearly there are, particularly as we go into recessions, there are a number of organizations that are halfway down, okay? And they've got to make some change. And, and one of the ways of telling when you're in that position is, you know, there's lots of layoffs. Uh, you've got people leaving, the revenue clearly is not as good as they expected it to be. Some of the products are seen to be as old. Customer feedback may be getting worse, so on and so forth. And to be honest with you, you know, the interesting bit is we get employed a lot when organizations are at that point. But the reality is, is that what Handy talks about is the time for change is when you've reached the top point B at the top of the the top of the that curve yeah but that is the most difficult time to change because everybody turns around and says why are we changing you know we're doing really well there's no point in us making a change you know uh, everything's running swimmingly thank you very much you know the reason i raise this is this all making sense um, yeah yeah in fact there's there's some um psychology behind it so our, our old friend loss aversion predicts that when we are in a, a gain frame of mind, in other words, when things are going well, when we're towards the, the peak there, uh, we naturally tend to be risk averse, which means we don't want change. When we're in a loss frame, when things are going poorly, so when we're on the downward slope, we tend to become more risk seeking, which is when we're, we're willing to change. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's science to back this up as well. Yeah, yeah, no, good point. So let's go back to the five rules. Okay, 
the point I was trying to make is that when you start to look at some of these things like not understanding your target market, ignoring customer feedback, failing to adapt to change, not being authentic, overlooking diversity and inclusion. And then you look at some of the companies that have gone down that route, okay? Kodak, Nokia, Blockbuster, you know, just to to name a few. Yahoo is another one, BlackBerry, MySpace. And this is from a, we'll put this link in the the show notes. This is from a website I've pulled this from that, um, um, who wrote an article called 15 Famous Brands Who Failed to Innovate. The interesting thing for me was, as you start to read those things or start to think about those companies, it's about hubris, isn't it? It's about it really can be, yeah. It, it, it's about not understanding your market or thinking that you know the market better than anybody else. I'm I'm a little bit sympathetic because we are are trained on examples of hubris that ended up in success, right? There there are lots of examples where the company founder had this vision and everybody around them was saying, no, that'll never work. And that's not what people want. And they, they fought through it and they ended up being very successful. And so I think that there, there's a natural tendency of people who are leaders to, to disregard feedback and to disregard, right? Like I'm, I'm going to be a visionary like Steve Jobs and I know what, what it's going to do. And we don't hear enough of those stories of people who ignored feedback and ignored the marketplace and didn't listen to their customers who failed, which is a, a lot more, right? So I think, I think that we're biased in our experience. Um, and even those, those innovators who did end up everything working out, you know, it's not because they had some vision that they imposed on the marketplace. I would argue it's because they had a better intuitive understanding of the needs of their customer. They understood their marketplace better. They, you know, they were responsive to feedback and all they, they were responsive to change. I think the people who kind of put their head down and say, I know what's best, they're taking a huge risk in doing that. Yeah. And I, I and I think you're right. I mean, the Steve Jobs example is, is the classic example of, of, of that, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's a classic example of that. But if I, if I, you know, let me give you another example, and this is just again a personal one. I went to a large retailer that's still in existence, just won't mention the name, and I remember presenting to them to the to the C suite, and I remember thinking, this is the reason why this organization will never succeed. They were in denial, basically. This is the senior team. They were in denial and they didn't want to be challenged. And one of the key things that was stopping them was the politics, the internal politics. Yeah. And that I had actually been brought in by the uh, marketing team and they didn't want the marketing team to succeed. And therefore, uh, there was it was too much of a challenge. And to this day, I'd be very surprised if they, you know, they're going to be one of these case studies of of how they've failed, basically. Yeah. Let me highlight your the last rule there, the diversity and inclusion one, and and tie it to the point that you're making here. There are some people who are hearing this list and and 
you know, uh, include talking about the importance of diversity um, and are on board with that and think that that is a good idea. They're sold on that idea. There are other people I have no doubt who are hearing that and kind of rolling their eyes and going, oh, this is a buzzword and, and this is kind of like a, a woke approach and, you know, this need to focus on business fundamentals. There are various important reasons for wanting diversity. And one of them is this point that you're just making where if we don't have a leadership structure that can be open to multiple viewpoints and to being challenged and to looking at things in different ways, then it can become this kind of locked in state where we're, you know, we're not going to make any change because the people who are in control of that don't want to hear anybody else. And my example of that uh, is um, Victoria's Secret. So there's a, a fascinating documentary. It's on uh, Hulu in the United States. I don't know if, if it's available in other places as well, but it's um, it's more than just the business story. There's a lot more going on in Victoria's Secret that was um, criminal. And so that was an interesting part of the story. But it's also a fascinating business documentary. And part of the problem was exactly what you're saying here. They, they had a leadership structure who decided that they knew what was cool and sexy. And so they, they didn't need to listen to anybody. And we're kind of aggressively non-inclusive, you know, in this case with the, the models that they hired and the kind of the, the styles that they were, you know, promoting. And they went very rapidly from being the most successful lingerie brand in the business to crashing and burning hard uh, within the span of just a few years. It seems entirely attributable to this hubris to this lack of diversity to this lack of of multiple insights to not wanting to take any feedback fascinating case study i had heard some of that before but i think you're you're right i mean that that becomes the issue i'm conscious of time so let me give you um these five five rules to ensure that you will fail number one not understanding your customer's target market So rule number one, not understanding your customer's target market. Number two, ignoring customer feedback. Number three, failing to adapt to change. Number four, not being authentic. Number five, overlooking diversity and inclusion. And those, if you want to make your organization fail, then those are the ones to do. Virtually guaranteed that that will be the case. Anything else you want to add, mate, before we depart? No, I think that that works. I think I think we should come up with more recommendation lists, more advice lists on how to fail. I think that would be a, yeah. I've got to tell you that we're now we're now tapping into my strength, mate. Okay, <laughs> let's Finally. lean into what we're good at. After five years, we're tapping into the area I'm good at. I think it's a plan. All right, nice talking to everybody, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Okay, cheers. Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.